Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to pick up the text in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to talk about the creation of mankind and the image of God in man, as stated in these verses. We may or may not finish out the chapter because this is kind of a big discussion here. And we find ourselves in day six of creation. Of course, we recognize that day six uh, provides the filling, uh, talking about the earth being formless and void back in verse two. And this fills out the structure that was provided in day three with the fertile earth that is provided, the dry land and the vegetation. And now we're going to fill that dry land and vegetation out by having the living creatures. And we talked about that according to their kind and the beasts of the earth according to their kind and so forth. And the creeping things on the ground according to their kind, it was good. And now we're going to get to man. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let's dive into this then. God said, let us make man in our image. We have a lot of plurals here, uh, first person plurals. And again, I would refer to the, the majestic plurality here, uh, the royal plural, if you will, And I do believe that there is a case, a light case, albeit, but there is a case to be made for the Trinity uh, when we see this with regard to Elohim and these plural verbs here, uh, God speaking with regard to his persons, and he is one God in three persons. So he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And we have to discuss that both in verse 26 and in verse 27, because he says, let us do that. And then as he follows the pattern in the rest of the chapter, he says, let this thing happen. And then the very next verse, that thing is happening. And that's what we find in verse 27. So when he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, verse 27. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. We know from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that he created them from the dust of the ground. He formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils. The breath of life, man became a living being. He created woman out of the side of man. But there are some implications here, because we understand that God was directly involved in the creation of mankind. And I am going to borrow some of these implications here and just bring them to your uh, awareness uh, from Mayhew and MacArthur and their uh, 
biblical doctrine, a systematic summary of biblical or Bible truth. And it's very important for us to consider because if we take God at his word in the uh, scriptures here, we understand that God directly created man, both male and female, as he declares here in chapter one, and then we get a record of how that happened in chapter two. What does that mean if he created us? Well, first of all, humans do not exist in a vacuum. The precondition for man is God, and man can only be understood from the starting point of the creator. This is an incredible point that we would do well to consider that we don't exist in a vacuum and the precondition for man is God. And so man can only be understood from the starting point of the creator. We have to understand that. If we take God at his word that he created us, then we cannot properly understand man apart from God and and we really have to we have to start with God. So once you take God out of the qu- equation, you actually cannot fully understand who man is. You can make some observations about him, but if you leave the creator, the one who created man out, uh, that poses a problem. And you can see where that would be problematic in today's day and age, where we have lots of people saying, I know everything there is to know about man or a lot there is to know about man, and none of it has to do with the creator. Well, you're going to get pretty far askance if you do that, because you cannot understand man properly apart from the context of the creator. So we don't exist in a vacuum. Man's precondition is God himself. Second implication is that direct creation, which is what God did when he made man, a male and female, is this, and it's a very obvious, but we have to say it, man is not God. I'm not God. You're not God. The people around you are not God. Uh, we are not God, and we are not going to become God. And I think you can probably see where that's going with some of the cult religions that claim to be Christianity and also claim that we can achieve deity. Uh, if we are created and God is the creator and he is the uncreated being, then we are not that being and nor will we ever become that being. So we are neither divine, nor are we the highest being in existence. We are uh, subservient to, we are lower than God, and we have to accept that. And that has lots of implications, okay, as well. Let's keep moving here. Third implication of direct creation of mankind by God is that as a creature, which we are, man is obligated to submit to God. If God made us, then God has the ability to command us to do things and we have to submit to him. And so you can begin to see how vital a role uh, Genesis plays in our theology about how we interact in the world and the things that we do and how we relate to God. Because if we take God at his word that he is our creator, then he has by just virtue of his creation of us, he has authority over us and we are obliged. We are obligated to submit to him. Fourth implication, man has a unique role in God's creation because he created us directly. And then he gives that dominion mandate, which is very fascinating. He says, let, let them have dominion, right? 
over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. So the other three things that he gave function or form to, excuse me, and then filled with the sea and the water dwelling creatures and then the creatures of the heavens, the birds, he says, you have dominion over those animals. You have dominion over the animals in the sky. You have dominion over the livestock on the earth and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. Well, we have a unique role in creation. He doesn't give that permission nor the mandate to anything else in all creation. So we, because of our direct creation and how he has made us, have uh, have that role and we occupy that. Interesting quote that we get from Psalm 115, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. That's Psalm 115 verse 16. And it's really good to go and ponder that. And, and we also know that when there is a new heaven and a new earth, that man will reign forever on the new earth. We can go to Revelation 21.1 and 22.5 to argue that point. A fifth implication of direct creation then is that man was created to give God glory. Uh, he created us. What's our purpose? A lot of people ask that question. Why am I here? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Well, we are created to give God glory. We know that, you know, that famous question, that catechetical question that is posed at the, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, here's one of the verses that we would hang that answer upon, and that is Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. Sons and daughters are supposed to come to God, and everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And God says in that text that his people are created for his glory. Uh, Paul says that Christians have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 verse 11, and that everything that man does, he's supposed to do whether you eat or drink to what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31, we're supposed to do all to the glory of God. And so because we are directly created, we are to give him glory. So that's the direct creation of man. When he says, let us make man, and so he made man, there's the beginning of verse 26 and verse 27. Now let's move on to the next part of that, which is how he made man. Not only did he directly create us, but he made us, and he says that he would do it in his image, in the image of God, or what is referred to in its Latin term, the imago Dei. What exactly does that mean? There are lots of theories that have been put forth re regarding the Imago Dei. Um, one, one way to look at this, the, the ramifications of the Imago embrace issues of human dignity, value, personal and social ethics, relationships between the sexes, and solidarity of human family and also racial justice. All those can be subsumed under the Imago Dei. Uh, there are a couple different words that come out here. One translated as image, the other as likeness. And we can see it not only in the opening chapter of Genesis, which we're in, Genesis 1, 25 and 26, or sorry, 26 and 27, but also after the fall, and it's worth noting that this is repeated then, because that'll come up here in just a minute. We'll get back to this. But in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, 
It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. That's that second word that's used. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man in the day that they were created. Then he goes on and gives us this big genealogical record that we are accustomed to in Genesis 5. Then again, after the flood, so keep in mind that we have the restatement of the image of God in Genesis chapter five, that's after sin has taken place. And then we get another restatement of the image of God after God has judged the world for its sin with the global flood. And that is with the institution of human government, which is recorded for us in Genesis chapter nine, verse six, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. So we have this restatement of the image. We have the statement of it before sin enters in. And then we have the restatement of it after sin, just to make sure that we understand that man is still made in the image of God. And then we have it again after the global flood. And and then it's reiterated in the New Testament as well. A man is not supposed to cover his head, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, since he is the image and glory of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. And uh, then we get something similar in James chapter three, verse nine, when he's talking about the tongue as a powerful instrument and like, just like a rudder that steers a large ship, uh, the tongue is very, very powerful with it. James says, we bless the Lord, our father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in guess what? The likeness of God. That's James chapter three, verse nine. All right, let's dive into the image now and consider this before us. This is a longer discussion. I'm going to try and just keep it within the realm of this one episode here. But the implications of being made in God's image, and then we'll hopefully get to what it is exactly that it is and what it means to be made in God's image. But there are some implications. Number one, the image of God is affirmed for all persons. That's both male and female. So we need to understand that right at the get-go that there's not one sex or gender that uh, you know is more godly than the other. Uh, all ma- mankind, all of humankind, uh, bears the image of God, and we see that. Genesis 1.27, so God created man. That's speaking of the race of man, the species, right? Man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and he's defining the the category at the beginning of the verse with male and female. So both male and female bear the image of God. Second implication of the image of God is that it carries through even after the fall, we see people still possessing the image of God. And we covered that Genesis chapter five, verses one to three. And of course, after the flood as well, Genesis nine, six. Okay. Third implication of the image of God uh, is that it explains man's need to live in relationship with others. Okay. One of the things that we have to understand with God that we learn about him, he has communicable attributes, incommunicable attributes, and the communicable attributes are the things that we share uh, with God. We He has them in totality and exhaustively, but we can share in part. Well, one of the things that God is and that we discover about him in the pages of scripture is he's relational. He desires to have a relationship. He has a perfect relationship with himself. There is perfect relation within the triunity, but he decided to make uh, the heavens and the earth, and he decided to make 
all of creation and within creation, a certain a part of creation that bears his image. And with that image bearing part of creation, which we now know is us, mankind, he desires to have a relationship. God is relational. Well, guess what? It's no surprise then that we discover that man is relational and we are. It's no surprise that one of the uh, the severest punishments that a criminal who's serving a jail sentence can receive is to go into solitary confinement. Man is relational, and that is in part what it is to bear out the image of God, albeit maybe tainted, but we still have it because we are relational and God is as well. So God has directed his love toward creation. God is relational with us, and that is part of it. So when we think about our need to be around others, uh, that is part of the image of God. It's an implication of that. There's a fourth implication of the image of God, which is that it's connected to man's task to rule and subdue the earth on God's behalf. Whatever it means uh, to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over creeping things that creep on the earth, whatever that means, it's connected to the image of God. So it's connected to our task to rule and subdue the earth on God's behalf. And so we have to understand that. Eugene Merrill is a very prescient commentator on the Old Testament and the Pentateuch. Uh, His works are very good. And he says this uh, regarding this topic, that man is created to reign in a manner that demonstrates his lordship and his dominion by force, if necessary, over all creation. Lordship there, we're not talking about divinity, but rather mastery and authority. And he goes on to say that there is a royal and kingly aspect to man being in the image of God. Whatever it means, there is some kind of royal connection uh, to it when we are actually doing what God has sent us in the world to do. All right, so what then does it mean here in these final minutes uh, to be made in the image of God? Well, there's three main ways that we can uh, divvy this up. First, Uh, there is what's called the substantive view that says that the image of God is inherently structural to man. It is characteristic within the makeup of man that the image is part of who man is, not just something he does. Very important, that statement there. The being made in the image of God is not something that we do. It's part of who we are. I'm just going to say at the front, this is the correct answer. Whatever, whatever the other two options are and the implications of them, there may be some truth to them. This is the core answer, because when he says he has created us in his image, it has nothing to do with what we do. It is who we are. And that is even implied in the grammatical structure of the text. Okay, so this is the right view, the substantive view, we're going to call that, that the image of God is inherently structural. But there's another view that says that the image of God is functional, and it asserts the image of God is something that human beings do. Well, we've already said that that's wrong. That's something, you know, whatever we may do that demonstrates that we're part, you know, that we have the image of God is merely an outpouring or an outworking or a consequence of the fact that he has built that into our structure. So there's a functional view, which we would say is not the correct view. And then the third view, which is also not correct, is the relational view that claims that image is tied to the relationship uh, that, or, or that, that the relationship that we have is actually the image of God. 
relationship is the image of God. Millard Erickson sums up this view by saying humans can be said to be in the image or to display the image of God when standing in a particular relationship, which indeed is the image. Uh, That really can't be because then it can only be displayed at certain times. We would argue that all humanity has the image and displays the image of God, which is why it's wrong to murder, by the way. And uh, there's just so many implications and we don't have time to get into all of that, but these are all wrong Uh, there is a relational aspect to the image of God. There is a functional aspect to the image of God, but at its core, the image of God, whatever it means, has to be substantive. Okay, so then what does it mean that we are substantively in our very being uh, made in the image of God? Well, let's see if we can work through these, but there's several. Okay, here it is. Ontologically, Uh, It means that man is a living, personal, self-conscious, active being with personality. To be made in the image of God means there's an ontological aspect where we are living, personal, and self-conscious, self-aware, okay? Uh, and, And that's very, very important, and that comes up in the discussion. There's also a volitional aspect to what this means uh, regarding substance, okay? Volition is the idea of will. So man has a will and the ability to select between various choices. I can choose to do one thing, I can choose to do another. That is reflective of the the substantive view of the image of God. A third implication of the substantive view means that there is an intellectual aspect. God has given us a mind, a rational mind. Again, self-awareness comes into play here. Awareness of our environment, awareness of others, awareness of God, critical thinking, logical thinking. These things are subsumed under this intellectual uh, aspect of the Imago Dei. And this is where a lot of the conversation goes. Uh, There's also an emotional aspect to the substantive view. Uh, This is who we are. It's baked into us. And you can see that even if these things are corrupt, they're, uh, they're evident and they are present in other people, all people, even people who do not worship the one true and living God. They have a volition. They have an intellect. They are aware of themselves where they are living in personal self-conscious beings, ontological. Okay. There's an emotional aspect. Human beings experience a wide range of emotions and feelings more so than any other animal. People can argue till they're blue in the face that animals can feel things and maybe yes, they can feel pain, but the nuances of feeling, uh, that humans have are far exceed the rest of the animal kingdom. We're talking feelings like fear, feelings like anger, guilt, anxiety, regret, shame. Show me shame in the animal kingdom, right? Happiness and joy. Uh, and, you know, some people who try to uh, to see this in else other parts of creation, uh, that like the animal world, are going to gravitate to certain ones and say, well, listen, my pet, uh, I can see happiness and joy there. Okay, yeah. Again, show me regret, show me shame, okay? Uh, man can both laugh and cry, and the emotional, the emotionality of humans is very complex. Uh, humans can also experience two or more emotions almost simultaneously. Uh, you know, think about this. Parents can feel sadness, pride, nervousness, and happiness all at the same time when a child moves out of the home and gets ready to, you know, get married or go to college or do something like that. So there's emotion there. 
Then there's also relationally. And, and this was offered up as one of the other views of what it is to be in the image of God. Again, we would say this is an outpouring of the substantive view. Man is relational, but that's not what it is at its core. That can't be all that it means to be made in the image of God. It's just a part of it. But man is relational. Man is equipped to participate in relationships with God and with other people on the planet. We are relational beings. And lastly, uh, to be made in the image of God means that there is functionality. Uh, That means that man has what he needs to fill, rule, and subdue the earth and to obey and fulfill what God has commanded and to do this for God's glory. There is a function he has been sent here to do. Those aspects of the substantive view of the Imago Dei really sum up or the structural view of the Imago Dei really sum it up, that we're ontological, we're volitional, we're intellectual, we have emotion, we have relationships, right? There's relationality, relationally, and, and we have function as well that God has put us here for. And I think that gets us in a good spot. We're out of time. I expected this to happen. We actually have a little bit more to talk about with the creation of man, but it's a very good discussion to keep in mind that we have been directly created by God and that brings implications and that we are made in the image of God. And to really try and figure out what that means, this is a very good place for us to be and to be considering all of these things as we move through the scripture. We'll come back and pick it up and then get through the rest of this chapter in the next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website, at gfbc.net.